This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the you show. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. You like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Oh, screw the Drake. I love the Drake. This is Cam Bowen, voice of Tim Drake on Young Justice, and you're listening to Everyone Loves the Drake. Hi, this is James Tynan IV, and I love the Drake. This is George Perez, and everybody likes the Drake, especially the cakes. Hi, this is Mark Wolfman, and everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast, a chronological look at the character starting in 1989. It is currently 1996 for us. I'm one of your hosts, Rob Myers. Welcome to episode 136, World's Finest 3. We're brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman. And of course, Robin, we're also partnered with uh, Batman on film at batmanpodcastnetwork.com. You get a hold of us on all the social media outlets. We are primarily on, primarily on Twitter at ELTD podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everyone loves a Drake. We're on Instagram and you can email into the show at Robin ELTD podcast at yahoo.com. And if you listen on iTunes, uh, leave us a review there on Apple podcasts. That'll help spread the word of the show. Like I said, I'm Rob and with me returning and a new member to the show is our good friend, Jay Oz. Jay, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Rob. Once again, very glad to be part of the crew, and uh, thanks for having me back. And my good friend, Terrence O'Neill, is making his return finally to the show. Terrence, how you doing, sir? It's been a while. I feel like that Eminem song should be playing in the background. Guess who's back? Back <laughs> again. Which I think he runs around in that video in like a quasi-Robin outfit yeah, with, as with well. E. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, at the E. So I put a T instead. And yeah, it's good to be back. Thanks for holding down the fort while I was gone. Like we had said in the previous episode, it was a, you know, kind of a one month break turned into a four and I blinked and went, uh, I think you actually had sent a message, Terrence, like, I don't care what happens, but we need to record when we we're trying to figure out all the crazy times that we were going to record snowstorms and crazy weather and COVID and everything like that. So, you know, you unfortunately you and Ryan and Ryan's not here again this week. He had something else come up. I think he's buying a used car lot or something. Or something right now. Something like that. <laughs> Getting his own version of the Red Bird. 
Yes, I'm going to be so oh, jealous. Lucky. Terrence and Ryan weren't able to be on the last episode as we were discussing book one for World's Finest Three. And I had a little moment in the book as I was reading it that Jay wasn't here for our uh, contagion storyline. I, I don't know if giddy was the wrong word, but it was one of those like high five Chuck Dixon moments where like he put in the reference to the clench. And at one point the red bird is in the area where the Babylon towers used to be. So even just the, you know, four month absence, just going back to some of our more recent episodes, I'm like, Oh, we were talking about the clench and reviewing this whole, this whole crazy thing that here's Dixon putting it in this, you know, first book of like, Oh man, you know, I did pick this, book to be slotted at the right time. And Dixon was like, I'm going to show Rob where this should go. Even <laughs> I just went through publication when the book comes out, but chronologically, I was like, that's cool that it fit in so well. So since you weren't here on the last one, I even poked a little fun at myself. Is book one, is that co- is that poster cover or that I'm getting it all <laughs> chewed up here. Is that cover poster worthy poking at myself? And uh, what were some things about book one that uh, you didn't get a chance to say on the last episode? Do you want to kind of speak on? Definitely poster worthy, but you know, I am such a Tom Grummet fanboy that like anything he's ever done is poster worthy. <laughs> in my opinion, I overlook the fact that every single face looks exactly the same from some <laughs> weird cloning experiment. I remember getting these books really fondly back when they came out. I must have been like, what, they came out? 96 is when it came 96, out? 96, yeah. Yeah, so I had, I was just finishing up college. I turned 20 that year. So, uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I turned 21 that year. So I was 20, so I'm old enough to like kind of remember the stuff. So getting more Grummet artwork when you kind of thought those days of, you know, Tim Drake and him had passed was just, you know, total fanboy. I was a big Superboy fan at the time. I was reading Superboy, and I don't know if it was out yet. He had two books. He had Superboy and Superboy and the Ravers, which I had no idea what a raver was. I thought it was like some alien reaver. Wow. Thing. And then I had a little, oh, it's like people who go to parties and go to raves. I think, <laughs> the, I think that book was out already, but I'm, I'm not quite sure. I was kind of into both characters at the time. Seeing the Red Bird again, I totally geeked out. But I always see the Red Bird, and I was like, didn't that crash? Didn't that, like, get destroyed? And then I have to remind myself, oh, yeah, Bruce Wayne's a billionaire. I'm sure he had more than one Red Bird for, <laughs> for Tim. The ring. Seeing that kryptonite ring, which had been a theme in the, the, the Batman stories from even before like the whole nightfall and everything like that when Superman and action comics was like 75 cents for a while those days, like that was really cool. But there had been this whole like running thing in the Superboy books about like, could kryptonite affect him or not? And there was still like, we didn't quite know like where he came from. And, you know, there was, there was like stuff with Camdus and, and you know, who his DNA really was. So there was this kind of air like in between the, the first book and the second book of like, is this ring even going to do anything? Is this ring, you know, will it have an effect? Is he a clone of Superman? Is it what, what's going on? And then you get the payoff in the, the second book. So there was really like a big, this wasn't like just a, a one-off like, oh yeah, here's a little side adventure. Now back to our regular story. Like with the Superboy part, it, it actually does, you know, have a big impact in his future kind of going forward. Yeah, I just, I, I love kind of every page of the Tom Grummet art. And even though they, this was like a prestige format and there's extra pages, 
the panels are really big and it reads really fast and mm-hmm. uh it was a lot of fun the only thing i didn't like is um and this goes back with when we did like our underworld unleashed kind of <laughs> art things where they tried I re- to like, i really wanted you on that last episode just yeah i, I can imagine what terrence is gonna say <laughs> well when they just tried to like image comic or whatever was hip all these you know classic villains and metallo turned into the t-1000 from terminator 2 like if they don't even try to like hide it like that it's like just like a direct steal from it and then all right like he's he's like super powerful and really badass in the first issue and then like he does some stuff in the second issue where i'm just like what the what you know like like they should have i don't know made him like like, I could see a D-level villain doing it, but, you know, I don't know, when we get to the whole scuba outfit and like that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know where I'm going with it. Oh, but anyway, yeah. that's my uh, long, short recap of the, the first <laughs> issue. I'm sorry I couldn't make it. That's all right. You're here now, and that's all that matters to make that sound really cheesy. Well, if we don't make you wait a little bit longer, we're going to take a quick little promo break. And on the other side, we'll hear the synopsis of Book 2 of World's Finest 3 and then our discussion of Book 2 for World's Finest 3. We'll be right back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. Recognize Robin B20. All right, and now the synopsis and information for Superboy Robin World's Finest 3. Book 2 comes to us from Mike'sAmazingWorld.com. We have a cover date of 1997 with an on-sale date of November 27th, 1996, with a cover price of $4.95 for this being a prestige format book. The editor is Frank Pitteris. The writers are Carl Kessel and Chuck Dixon, penciler Tom Grummet, the inker is Scott Hanna, and the letterer is Ken Lopez, and the colorist is Scott Burnham. 
and the cover credits go to Tom Grummet and Scott Hanna. And I wrote the synopsis for the last one, and for the expedience of time, a DC fandom a wiki page does have a really decent synopsis for this one. And uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and take the easier route at this time, so I hope you don't mind. Here we go. Synopsis for World's Finest 3, Book 2, and The Conclusion. Superboy and Poison Ivy reach the small island of Hawaii, where Ivy wants to use a fast-growing plant, and Superboy has powers to eliminate all other life. Traveling in his normal guise, Tim Drake reaches Hawaii, accompanied by Alfred Pennyworth. They were unaware that Metallo slipped into the cargo room of the plane. Metallo follows Robin as the boy wonder and tries to find Superboy and Poison Ivy. Metallo is very interested in the kryptonite ring that Robin took out of the Batcave to use as a potential weapon against Superboy. After the initial attack by Metallo, Robin escapes to find Superboy no longer seeming to be under Ivy's control, but he still is. So Robin uses the kryptonite ring to snap Superboy out of it by delivering a ferocious punch to his jaw. But Ivy hits Robin from behind to take the ring. While she threatens Superboy with the ring, Metallo shows up once again and Robin is off to fight with him. Somehow, Robin attacks Metallo's internal systems and controls him to drive over a cliff. Robin is lucky that Superboy manages to free himself from Poison Ivy, securing the ring, and is able to catch the Boy Wonder. However, Superboy is still weak, so Robin needs one of his grapnel lines to save both of them to stop them from falling to their deadly doom. Of course, Metallo is not destroyed and escapes the island underwater. After Poison Ivy is arrested, Robin uses a trick to get the kryptonite ring back from Superboy and then vanishes before Superboy can ask him about a phone number that he could be reached at if he needs to work with the young detective again in the future. After returning to the Batcave, Robin is happy to put the kryptonite ring back in storage. Bruce congratulates him and Alfred. He obviously was well aware of what happened in Hawaii. The End. There's a couple of the shows for you to check out, and uh, you can hear my synopsis there, which I wrote the last one, and for time, I'm just going to use from DC Wikia's page, which I think I already said in the synopsis. But here we are for book two, so like we like to do is look at the cover for World's Finest 3, and this is a wraparound cover, which I don't know if it's really a wraparound cover. It's more there's a cover, there's an image on both sides. So we've got a cool image of Superboy and Robin being tied up in the vines, which Jay and I said last time you could, even though the cover for the first book really wasn't any part of the story, but it's a good, almost, we joked it's a literal launching off point, like they're launching into their adventure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you like what I did there. I'll be here all night, folks. I do. <laughs> <laughs> this one, uh, this really doesn't, I shouldn't say really, this doesn't happen in the issue, but it's a very well-drawn, executed piece that the, our two heroes are tied up in the vines. The back of the cover uh, kind of goes to what Terrence was saying just a little bit ago. This is like, hey, in case you didn't know, this is Terminator 3 <laughs> right here for the T-1000. It's... As much as I love Grummet, I don't, I don't really care for this back image. And with it being bagged and boarded, some of those books that are prestige where they've got artwork on both sides, you're like, oh, I really can't see the back of the issue. I don't miss it as much. But <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a knock to it, but it's just, I think he probably had to do something there. This is what he chose. It would have been kind of cool to see this be a literal wraparound. But uh, what do you guys think of uh, the cover for Book Two of World's Finest 3? 
Let's start with uh, Jay on this one. For the actual cover, it is more indicative of what happens in the issue than uh, issue one. That said, the issue one cover was just a cooler cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, something sometimes that's all you need. You know, this one, it's interesting enough, and it's really dynamic. And uh, I like, I like how you know, almost Robin and Superboy are kind of uh, have a role reversal here, where Superboy can fly, but he's the one that's grounded, mm-hmm. and Robin can't fly, but he's the one that's being pulled in the air by the vines. It's attention grabbing and everything. If I had to choose between the two, I would definitely choose a poster of issue one mm-hmm. uh, over this. Funny enough, for the back, even though I don't necessarily love that image, it is much more of like this static kind of poster worthy image yeah. than I think. Yeah. I mean, I like just the, even though it doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense, I like Metallo's huge head in the background and then Poison <laughs> Ivy trying to hide. I mean, it does look more like something that, you know, you just see prints made of and sold at like Tom Grummet's table at a comic convention. I agree. Of, of the two, I would think this is going to, the back is actually going to be the print at his table. The cover of this probably wouldn't be, but the cover one would be at his table yeah. as a print. But even still, I like the image, the front image of issue two more than I like the back image of issue two. It's still better. I mean, but it's got our boys on it. It's got Superboy and Robin, so of course I'm going to like it more. But they have similar faces, very similar faces. But it's one of those things like, well, everything else looks fantastic, and at least it's not a bad face. You know, it's not right. like it's not like he can draw everything else except for faces. The fact that his faces look good, they just look similar, I'm willing to overlook because everything else is just so stellar. It's not like he has Liefeld feet for for a face. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Terrence, what about you and the cover? Oh, okay. So. <laughs> I'm glad you're back. <laughs> here's the deal. If you just show me this like artwork, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. But considering that Poison Ivy and Metallo aren't on the cover... I'm kind of like, I, I guess they're on the back, you know, but like, you just, I think you could have just done so much more with the villains instead of just foliage attacking our heroes and, and they have, yeah. they're battling a leaf. And considering what happens in the issue and that Robin and Superboy go blow to blow. And when you open the book, there's like a, like a title page, which is art that's in the book, but it's it's uh, Tim Drake punching Superboy, and Superboy's mm-hmm. like in the foreground, and there's the pain on his face. That it's like, ugh, I'd rather that have been the cover. Like, give me, you yeah. know, give me, give me Robin hitting Superboy or the fight or something. So my feeling is, as a picture of art, I, I like it, but I feel like they dropped the ball and they could have just done so much more, either with the villains or with the the conflict, the battle between. Superboy and Robin, but you know it's it's comic business. Maybe they didn't have a lot of time on the cover or or whatnot, or they had their reasons. I don't know. I do like the fact that yeah, the um, if they had had them battling on the cover, that would have been much more interesting and attention grabbing. But I like the fact that rather than say, oh, this is Robin versus Superboy, this you know cover image at least tries to sell more that it's a team up between the two rather than a conflict between the two mm-hmm. even if they are kind of at odds through most of the issue uh i do I, I mean i do kind of appreciate that they didn't go that route for that reason and i wonder what the lead time was between gromit doing the cover 
if like the covers originated first before getting into the interiors, right? Where they were just like, hey, have Robin and Superboy going into battle, and then you know there's going to be a story with Poison Ivy in it, so do something with the boys fighting Poison Ivy, and this is what it is. So I think to your point, Terrence, seeing that that insert at the very beginning where all the text is goes, like you said, Jay, that would be a good grab. If you bought issue one, you get issue two and you see Robin striking Superboy, you could go, well, they were, they were jumping off a building together, ready to fight the last time. What did Superboy do? You know, (laughs) that type of thing. So let's just get into the body of this from where we left off last time. uh, Superboy gets the kiss from poison Ivy. And uh, of course, Superboy is going to follow because, you know, his Superboy libido is working in overtime, as it typically does with with the character. And they fly off to Hawaii, which what could possibly go wrong with all this great green foliage and taking Poison Ivy there? So uh, that is where our our hero is being led to uh, with Poison Ivy. I like how the beginning of this starts with Poison Ivy, that he must be strong enough to be able to ward off some of the spell. So probably like the ambulance uh, drivers in the previous episode, she probably kissed them once and they were under control the whole entire time. She's got to kiss Superboy a couple different times throughout the issue to keep him. And I didn't realize that there was like a range attached. Like if he flies too far out of the area, she can't, control him anymore i thought it was like once you're under the spell you're always under the spell unless that's just built in there for these type of purposes i think it would be like pheromones so the closer he is you know to her the stronger it's going to be and harder to ward off but if he gets further away the pheromones are going to be dissipated and diluted and everything so he'd be able to collect himself a little bit more but i think this is cool kind of setting up where the first book was really us kind of getting familiar with the two heroes. If you only read Superboy, you only read Robin and the two of them getting familiar with each other where it's more metallo based issue where I think Jay, you and I spoke the last time that this, I think what works well, maybe we're spoiling the end of it a little bit. What works better for this story. It's not like both villains decide, aha, we need to team up together to take these two down. They're independently working of their own, even though they're kind of sort of after the same MacGuffin type of a thing. It all seems to kind of work together, but I think poison Ivy is definitely the, the focal point of this issue and Metallo was the last one. So what did you guys think of poison Ivy being primarily the lead villain throughout this book? Let's start with Terrence on this one. I thought it was really a great villain, especially with Superboy, Cause if the way Superboy was being written, especially in his own book was that he was real, he was a real horn dog. <laughs> like, you know, like he, he, he cared more about the girls. I mean, I think the, the first book started off, he was like judging a, a kissing contest or something, <laughs> which, yeah, that, that's not going to fly in today's PC world, you know? Right. <laughs> it's very much like an Archie comic kind of vibe. In fact, I really love, I think it's on page three or so, the way Grummet, yeah, the bottom of page three, Grummet draws Superboy's face, and it has that kind of look of like, <laughs> uh, you know, like he's under, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. I got you under my spell kind of thing. So for that matter, it was good. I've said this on previous podcasts, Poison Ivy is without a doubt the least consistent 
Batman villain in terms of what are her powers, what can <laughs> she do, what does she look like, who she is. You know, sometimes she can control every plant in the world. I mean, in Tom King's run, I think she controlled like the entire world somehow or something. I, you know, I don't know. And then other times, you know, she can just make a vine that Batman can snap. So I, you know, it's so I always just kind of like take poison ivy with a grain of salt i mean she's one of the least grounded in reality villains batman has and so i'm always like eh. so for this kind of farcical parts of the story i think she works really good yeah i made mention in the previous episode i think how i like poison ivy more when she's just like a like a botanist and you know wants to allow plants to thrive and everything like you know one of those characters that you might see where she's coming from but her ends do not justify her actual mm-hmm. means at all i don't like you know being able to grow vines you know having green huge skin and everything like that and now i'm pretty sure she's like a villainous female swamp thing effectively which <laughs> i think is kind of boring i think it's much more interesting yeah. when she's just a normal person who has you know some villainous goals and everything i like her portrayal here a lot more i do kind of uh, appreciate the fact that whereas the first issue like you said focused more on metallo and she was kind of a secondary figure kind of to parallel that that issue started with metallo this issue starts with poison ivy to kind of say that she's more of the driving factor for this issue so that was kind of a cool storytelling parallels there because they even use the same panel structure too yeah Uh, there might have been nine panels in the first issue i can't remember again funny enough the first issue opened with metallo in nature this opens with poison ivy in like a dilapidated suburb almost so there they the issues start off with one character in the other character's normal environment which is kind of uh Kind of interesting. Just kind of came to me. <laughs> well, that was, a, that was a good catch. That was deep. I, I like. Yeah. Well, then the other I'm one impressed. is yeah. it starts with an animal. It starts with a frog in a swamp. This starts with rats, and, and then ends up yeah. in a dog. Yeah, yeah. Good call there. Like Terrence said, and I think we mentioned it too that the bad guys in this story don't ever team up. They're not working together at any point, which is kind of refreshing and makes it a lot more interesting because it's less. Robin and Superboy versus Poison Ivy and Metallo. It's Robin and Superboy versus Poison Ivy versus Metallo versus Robin and Superboy. So, like, nobody, yeah. nobody, n- neither of the villains are working together to similar ends. Like, everybody is in conflict with each other here. So, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and they're exact opposites because Metallo has, like, no organic material. Or does he still have a brain? Does he still have. Where he's almost no organic material, yeah. and he's got Poison Ivy who wants to rid the world of anything that's you know man-made and return it all to just organic material. So there, that's pretty uh, pretty genius of Chuck Dixon and who else wrote this? Was it uh, Carl Kessel? Carl Kessel, yeah, uh, that pretty pretty deep of these guys. Well, and something I noticed from reading this one again today and kind of leafing back through book one. I I commended both of Dixon and Kessel writing them together, but the more I thought about it, book one almost seems to lean more towards Chuck Dixon's writing, because that's where, if you had to pick one of the two heroes that was kind of a lead, it was probably Tim in that book. This one feels 
maybe it's just because we're in Hawaii, we're in surroundings for Superboy. This one feels like Kessel might have had more of the 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 story breakdowns and the the outlines for it. And I wasn't really reading Superboy at that time, but I could definitely feel a little bit of a shift in the narrative for for Superboy when he was speaking more so than I could in the last one. Did you guys catch pick up on that at all? Or Rob, Rob, are you saying that this is more of a Kessel run? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> but I, I appreciate the joke nonetheless. Yes. <laughs> so the part I was getting to, which I thought was kind of funny and odd, you talk about like Poison Ivy Terrence being kind of the most inconsistent Batman character, that the joke that Alfred had to ride coach on this plane and they couldn't get the Wayne court plane. I was like, why didn't Alfred like, why didn't you just take the bat plane and have Alfred fly? I'm I'm thinking like there were other issues that we've read in the last eight or so years where Alfred has flown a plane for, for Batman and Robin and Nightwing or whatever the case is. So I think it's funny that like, Oh, they may have lost Tim's luggage and his luggage being his costume. And, you know, look, there's the T-1000 that looks like a, <laughs> a a suitcase and all that stuff. So a little bit of, you know, kind of comedy put in there for comedy's sake. But um, I didn't want to belabor on that too much. But, but I, uh, I liked it, too, because he kind of gave an explanation of like, well, how am I going to get a Wayne Corp jet with Bruce out of town and Lucius and all that? So there's a little yeah. bit of that real world of like. You know, he's still, you know, a 15, 16-year-old kid. He can't just do everything Batman can do. So That's very true. You, you know, I, I kind of like that. But, yeah, and the coach thing is, is funny. <laughs> yeah, I think it was also more with Robin and Alfred maybe even trying to say that they could take care of it themselves, you know, without mm. having to worry about using all of the resources Batman has more of a okay if someone takes the bat the bat plane bruce is probably going to get a notice like an alarm or something going off try it will try to figure out you know what's going on will probably intervene and almost like they didn't want it not because they didn't want him to find out but because they didn't want him to have to interject in here because you know robin felt like he could you know handle this himself also trying to clean up his own mess that he made too, <laughs> you know, bringing Superboy into it. So yeah, I wonder if some of that was at play there too, but I don't want to let page eight go by or leading seven into going eight with Metallo trying to find some type of disguise to, <laughs> to wear. Like I actually laughed out loud and I was like, okay, is this Dixon or is this has to be, this has to be Kessel writing this because i thought this was really funny that metallo decides oh i just can't walk around in my t-1000 costume i gotta find uh, he was talked about finding a jacket and that <laughs> the most inconspicuous thing that he can find is full scuba gear and i was like that is really kind of <laughs> kind of funny this big bulking you know robot that was like a 10 foot tank could get in a normal size body and get into a scuba diving suit and to be inconspicuous then breaks the uh, Honolulu post <laughs> newspaper display stand. I thought that was really kind of funny. So you uh, mentioned that Terrence, what'd you think about this little uh, comedic sequence that they uh, put in here for 
Metallo. Yeah, you know, I thought it was a little inconsistent with book one where he's this, like, really terrifying T-1000 that can turn into a tank and produce all these guns, and he's got to sneak in a luggage compartment to get to Hawaii, and then he's got to put on a scuba gear, like, and, and it just kind of... Uh, you would think a guy walking with the scuba gear with a harpoon on his back and stuff would have caused a little more... Uh, TSA, come here, sir, come here, sir. Yeah, but just a, a robot walking around or something. You know, like, I I mean, I guess it was played off for laughs, but you you would think he could have done it a little more stealthily. But, uh, you know, it's kind of... Uh, I don't know. I think it just sets the tone. I think it goes well with Grummet's art. You know, if it was a little bit more like a realistic artist or more of like the image kind of, it would look just ridiculous. But Grummet's art is more like in line with like a Batman, the animated series kind of mm-hmm. thing. And it's just kind of, it's just for fun. I mean, it's, it just kind of tells you, hey, don't take it too seriously. You know, it's just have, have some fun with it. Yeah. Jay. Oh, it's dumb. And I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but that's I, it. I can't, I can't add anything to it. I mean, it's, it's silly. It probably makes no sense if you think about it. In fact, if you don't even think about it, it doesn't make any sense. But it's played for laughs. Who cares? <laughs> I just remember thinking, like, if you could turn into a tank, can't you turn into a plane and just yeah. fly <laughs> some, somewhere inconspicuous? But the sequence with the helicopter, I thought, was kind of interesting and odd that it's the government knows that, hey, there's a bunch of stuff going on in Hawaii. His reporter girlfriend is reporting that there's a lot of destruction happening because they don't know it's poison ivy at this point but there's a lot of vines and tentacles so they're sending out helicopters and you know military to help try and ward the stuff off so this is where i was talking about superboy being like out of range of the pheromones where he's going to destroy the helicopter and then quickly has that turn of like, well, hey, what are you guys doing? Why are you here? And I thought this, that sequence was written very well. Uh, Superboy going into, I'm going to destroy the helicopter, and these guys are falling. Well, why are you guys here? You know I'm not a doctor. So I thought that sequence was kind of cool. And then Alfred and Robin getting out of their hotel and uh, flying and seeing the the destruction so far. So you guys can kind of just talk on uh, that section for a bit. Let's start with Terrence. Yeah, there's nothing like overly great, I think, in this section, and there's nothing terrible. I think it just kind of moves the plot along. I do have a really fond nostalgia and love the scenes where it's Tim and Alfred sort of like unpacking in the hotel together. Mm-hmm. And just their like relationship and the back and forth and how Alfred is like just even on well, it's not really a vacation, but you know, it's still a vacation kind of like they're in Hawaii, <laughs> but he's unpacking and folding things like, like the butler and Tim's like, I don't know, just sitting there in like his like Hawaii kind of outfit. It, I don't know. I just kind of, I just kind of love it. Yeah. I like it. It's a, I like that scene between Alfred and Robin. That's definitely maybe even a high point of the issue, if not the mm-hmm. series. Taryn said the actual action scene with Superboy and Ivy, it kind of dragged a little bit just because I wasn't remarkably invested in what was going on. I mean, other than Ivy wanting to take over, you know, the entire island and make, you know, the plants grow and everything, her her plan, at least at this point, isn't remarkably clear beyond that. So there really didn't feel like there was a lot of stakes other than this is something that needs to be stopped. Like, I know it's not good, but I also don't feel like there's any like investment from 
the writers or the characters, at least at this point. It does kind of drag a little bit. I do like the detail, though, of even under Ivy's control, Superboy is still impulsive and hot-headed, <laughs> which, yeah. is, which, which helps him to break free of her spell because... You know, he's he's there standing with her and, you know, she gets upset about the helicopter being there, you know, saying they're not supposed to be here. So he flies off of his own volition and, you know, she yells after him, no, no, you need to stay close to me. And he's like, but what I thought what's going on, which leads to him breaking free of her control. So I thought that was, you know, kind of clever that he's still himself even while he's under her control. Yeah. And, you know, Terrence, you had mentioned that the even though this is a prestige format book, the book moves pretty quick. It's not a real dense read. I don't mean any disrespect by that at all. But from like page, what was I counting? Like from page 17 to 26, this moves at a pretty good clip from Robin checking out the vines, Metallo finding other artillery, which I want to get back to that in a second and maybe it's because more than half of him was destroyed previously so he needed more of a tank but anyway that metallo is tracking the kryptonite signature that he overheard superboy or that robin was going to be able to get somehow so he's tracking robin and robin is arriving at the same point where metallo is so that whole chase sequence I think moves pretty quick, even with the dialogue that's there. Superboy arriving and ending up holding him upside down at one point. I thought this whole section moves pretty quick, and we say it a lot, a lot of times on the show. There's a lot of fluidity through these pages. So I thought it was a very quick read. And I remember getting to this point and going, well, I'm, I'm a better part almost halfway through this book, and we're right almost up to the quote-unquote confrontation the confrontation between superboy and robin uh so what'd you guys think of dixon and kessel writing this section of the book yeah you know i i thought it was all right i kind of like the pace the book moves in i kind of prefer my comic books to move at a faster pace than not get bogged down in too much needless like exposition and dialogue even though that's what i do here on the podcast is Just lots of needless exposition and dialogue. I did like it for the fact that it established that if Superboy went too far from Poison Ivy, it's going to cause him to lose or cause her to lose her spell over him because that's a hard thing to like convey with because she's not going to tell him. And then Mm -hmm. if it was just the thought bubble of like, Oh, Superboy, I hope he doesn't go too far because then my doesn't work anymore. Like it would have just that would have just been too easy and lame. So this was a good way to kind of reveal it to us and kind of see it in action. Jay. Yeah, I like this uh, sequence quite a bit. A lot of it might be because just as a fan of Tim Drake, I mean, as much as I like Superboy, I mean, Tim Drake is, you know, one of my favorite characters as opposed to just really liking and appreciating the characters. So Having the section be devoted to him definitely gives makes me more invested in it. But there's also just that it seems to be a lot more exciting. Like, okay, what is Metallo up to? Oh my gosh, he turned himself into a tank. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, all this stuff. So it is, even though it has about the same you know amount of dialogue per page as the preceding section with Superboy and Poison Ivy, it does seem to flow better. I mean, again, a lot of it may just be because it's the character that I enjoy more. It might be because it's 
just so much more ridiculous and entertaining and crazy seeing a you know metal robot monster turn into a metal robot monster tank and then a metal robot monster hovercraft <laughs> and just like that escalation there and then you know chase scenes are always fun and uh, Grummet really, really knows how to draw action and movement. Like, I love the shot of Robin kind of lunging out of the frame at the bottom of page 21. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that leads to him getting on his uh, motorbike there. And even though it's a short chase, it's really exciting because you've got, again, the giant metal robot tank monster chasing after him and uh, Robin kind of outsmarting him by using a battering to flip into a tree while he lets the motorbike get away. And then, yeah, there's definite fluid on that scene because Metallo (laughs) falls into the water. And it's just a really, really well-paced, really exciting part of the story that that definitely pushed it forward. And at least this part of the issue go by at a ridiculously fast pace. And we talked about it the last episode. What possibly, Jay, what could be the reason why Robin cannot get the ring out of his utility belt what force on earth that somebody has to tell robin why he couldn't get into his utility belt would you like to tell everybody that maybe hasn't listened to the young justice podcast what that thing is that this character loves to tell everybody superboys hashtag tactile telekinesis I think that is the funniest thing about Superboy. That oh, I have this power and it is this. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is the that's a cool thing that you know, you kinda read between the lines like, oh, that's the reason why you can get into it. So like it was at this point I was like, Well, why would Superboy be doing that? And we get the dun dun dun, you know, poison ivy is there and you have that wonderful expression on twenty eight with Robin's eyes wide open. And I noticed through the latter part of the issue, there was at some point, I think back on page seven or eight, where Robin's in costume and he's telling Alfred that he can see because of his night vision. Mm. Like he still has his night vision on. So I don't know if that's just a, a coloring error there. But anyway, his eyes are really wide. You get this really cool, evil looking shot of Poison Ivy and then Superboy clocks Robin. Talk about him being a hothead. I would have thought, like, he probably broke Robin's neck right there and punched a hole through his stomach and then, you know, gets to pick up a tree and wants to smash him. And then before we get to a 30, which is the, the poster shot and maybe the, <laughs> the cover of possible issue. But what did you guys think about, uh, about this? The, did you see the Poison Ivy uh, reveal come in or did you think Superboy was being, you know, w- was fine at this point? Jay. I mean, I definitely, you know, felt like there was something going on there. It kind of had to be just to keep her involved. One thing I did want to mention that may be the best, I don't know, like the best visual storytelling in the issue is actually on page 27. It's after Superboy pretty much tries to talk Robin out of using the kryptonite ring. Mm. And Tim's just looking at the case in his hand and his brow is, you know, really furrowed. And then there's just a subtle, subtle change. There's slightly fewer lines on his eye, on his brow. His eyes seem a little more relaxed. And he uh, shifts the uh, little container with the ring in it in the next panel, you, mm-hmm. know, all, you, know, you know, agreeing with Superboy, like, okay, I'm not going to do this. You know, let's talk. You know, I'll hear you out. Let's, let's do what we need to do. Just really great, really subtle acting you know, quote unquote there mm-hmm. with uh, 
from Grummet's penciling, just to really convey, you know, Tim thinking it through and then ultimately deciding, even if he has reservations, you know, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll at least go along with this for the time being. But, uh, I mean, the rest of the sequence, I didn't think about it, but yeah, I mean, other than Robin having uh, an armored tunic, that punch from Superboy, unless he pulled his punch, probably should have straight up killed him. But, you know, whatever. We wouldn't have a book after that. <laughs> right. And story done. World yes. over. Uh, Terrence. Yeah, I took it that Superboy was resisting Poison Ivy to some degree, like you had mentioned earlier, Rob. So that's why he pulled his punches and didn't, you know go all out or use his tactile telekinesis to like <laughs> rescramble his internal hashtag, or- hashtag. yeah <laughs> hashtag yeah it took me forever as a kid to learn what that was i didn't know what either one of those words meant and i looked it up i believe a few times in the dictionary because that's not a thing in the dictionary i still didn't know what it means like tactile to and then finally i think it was in a letter column or something somebody explained it was like oh i still don't get it <laughs> for the longest time for the longest time i thought it was tactical telekinesis yeah. uh, dude i was the same way i was like oh he's got to make a game plan deciding what, at what point he wants to use his telekinesis. telekinesis. Then I realized tactile was touch. I was like, oh, well, I sound like that, an idiot. That makes much, <laughs> much more sense. <laughs> like the Simpson. What's a gime? Oh, yeah. a gime. Uh, rereading this, I remember clearly Robin using the ring on Superboy. So I kind of rereading it knew like, well, this isn't over yet. But I did think the Poison Ivy reveal was kind of done really well, especially the artwork on it where... Her face is in shadows, and she's got those, like, Batman, white, Norm Brayfogle Bra- <laughs> eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did notice the shading, too, on uh, Robin's eyes was green a lot, and I didn't know if that was, like, a coloring error, or he just, like, leaves his night vision goggles on. Or I mean, I, the, it's, yeah. it's nighttime now, so it would make sense for him to have those on. Yeah. Especially he's in, if he's in, like, a jungle where it's darker. Mm-hmm. That would just help him to, to see better, I think. And I love the scene where, like, Superboy is is super powerful, has hashtag tactile (laughs) or tactical telekinesis. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) He could just walk over and just, like, crush Tim's head. He could just punch him in the face. But he decides decides to rip out a tree and try to smash him with the tree in front of Poison Ivy, who's, like, all about, like, don't harm the planet, don't harm nature. Like, so uh, maybe that's... Gotta, gotta impress the ladies there. Yeah, dude. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, oh, Poison Ivy would look down on you ripping up a tree just to kill someone. You just go over in there and kill him. But I do love that punch. And uh, I love that paint on Superboy's face. The scene where, like, Robin's kind of standing over him, kind of Muhammad Ali kind of esque with mm-hmm. it, you know. And then, uh, sorry, pal, I'm not falling for your act again. Like, that, that was pretty good. But then how he loses the ring is kind of like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's where, if anything really felt like MacGuffin-y after a while, it became the the chase of the ring that now, like, Metal is just looking to, like, I just want the ring so I can have power, so I can destroy Superman. And, you know, Poison Ivy's thinking, well, I may not even need this kid. If I have the ring, I can go find Superman and control him and all that stuff. So you get the the chase of the ring. And then what really kind of made this feel like Batman, the animated series for me is the moment when Robin hops on Metallo and starts, you know, prying him open to get into the circuit board where, you know, Jay and I said in the last episode that if 
we had a a dartboard of all the DC villains. We have Batman villains on one side and Superman villains on the other side. Pick two, Poison Ivy and Metal would be the two villains I would say, well, I don't want to hit, throw a dart at these two because yeah. I don't know what kind of story we're going to get. This was that moment where I was like, not that it's cringeworthy, but the Metallo Robin scene, I was like, oh, I probably could have done with without that. I was kind of into it more with Superboy and Poison Ivy that she has the ring and she's 36 where she's holding her hand out with the ring like inches from her his face telling like, you know, say my name. And What's my name? Say my name, bitch. Kiss my ring of like, that's probably instantaneous death with if Superboy kisses that ring where you go, ah, we don't have much respect for Poison Ivy as a villain, but this is where like her evil tendencies came out where I was like, yeah, she's not a not a real good character at this moment. You might want to bump her up into the list of Batman villains that you don't want to mess with. I thought that seemed, seemed really kind of showed her real evil nature. So what did you guys think of the Superboy Poison Ivy scene and, if, and the Robin Metallo section too, for that matter? I think... It kind of shows Poison Ivy as just, again, inconsistent. Like, what's her deal? Is it, does she want power? Does she want these men to worship her? Does she want Superboy to worship her? Or does she care about the environment? And is her goal to, you know, bring the Earth back to a natural state and get rid of all the man-made creations? And it goes back and forth, and it gets muddled. And in one issue, she's all about... You know, having men worship her. The next issue, she's just an eco-terrorist. So, you know, it wasn't like the worst thing in the world, but it just kind of plays to the inconsistency that is Poison Ivy. And I guess, I guess for for Superboy, he needs that hero moment because, like most of the issue, you know, he's basically her 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 lapdog. So he needs that hero moment to like resist and stand up on his own and you know, reject it. So, you know, I guess it, it serves a purpose in his story arc. Um, the Metallos Robin thing is kind of weird because, it's, again, it's like you could create yourself into this huge, like, monster thing. You couldn't have made yourself into a submarine to get to Hawaii. Like, well, come on. <laughs> and then, really, like, you're controlling what you can create yourself into. So why would you control and create an access panel for Robin to get into you. Like, it's just kind of, I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know. I'm sure we could, like, come up with reasons why that had to be there and this or that. But it just kind of, you know, it kind of is weird. Yeah, I mean, one of the strengths that I said of the story was that uh, Poison Ivy and Metallo's plans don't really align. This is a sequence where that can also be seen as a weakness because... Yeah, at this point, it's like, okay, well, what's the the Poison Ivy stuff here is definitely stronger. Mm-hmm, um, definitely. At this point, it's gotten to where, okay, we just need to get Metallo off the table. So let's think of a contrivance. I'm not saying that he's an idiot, but it may be a case of, well, he wouldn't... I mean, he still needs mechanical components and wiring to be able to function and everything. So he has to have that stuff there. That there's an easy access panel could just be from you know, like a plane or the boat or whatever he used to transform into this big hovercraft thing. And he just didn't think about needing to reconfigure that to where it's not there. I mean, it could be anything. It is, 
easy and contrived. It's clever on Tim's part how he takes him down. But even still, I mean, yeah, if you start poking holes in it and thinking about it, it doesn't really hold together very well. I do like now there is an immediate tangible threat against, you know, one of the boys uh, because, you know, Superboy now is less under Poison Ivy's control just with her, you know, pheromones and everything. And now he would almost be enslaved because he's so weak, he can't fight back. And I liked the uh, line where Metallo was telling Ivy to hand over the ring and, you know, she says, you know, you killed all these innocent, you know, creatures and you dare make demands of me. I thought that was kind of uh, Mm -hmm. cool from her. Like I said, it's it's one of the story's strengths and also a weakness, too, in this entire sequence that, yeah, Ivy and Metallo didn't just all of a sudden decide to team up, but... You know, once we get to a point where both characters are there and we have all four of our main players in one area, it's almost like they're thinking, well, what do we what do we do now? You know, <laughs> where, where, where do we go from here? And I think the the saving grace of this is neither Robin nor Superboy save each other. They both I mean. It's not like, oh, Robin saves both of them. At one point, it's Superboy saving Robin. Then it's Robin saving Superboy. And they mention that on the rooftop, that it's not a good thing Robin was there to save Superboy. That with the last ounce of Superboy strength from putting the ring into the case, that he was able to catch Robin to slow his descent. I like how they put in you know, terminal velocity in there that they yeah. are falling fast enough. But then Robin's got to do some quick thinking on his point to okay great you slowed our descent but we're still going down and the blades of this crazy t1000 (laughs) metallo are just below so we're both going to be torn to shreds so i i like how that all gets resolved and they're both kind of sitting on the rock together i thought that was a cool scene then we end up moving to the press conference and in typical batman fashion i love when dixon has robin do things naturally the way Batman would. If this was happening in Metropolis, it'd be Superman that was standing there and Batman would be up on the roof watching it. Let Superboy take all of the credit, all of the glory. And that's exactly what happens. Robin's up on the roof. They have their exchange back and forth with one another. Tim plays with the, Hey, look at that. It's, you know, Metallo to get the, get the ring back from Superboy, which I thought was kind of cool. And then in typical Batman fashion, boom, you know, Robin's gone and we're back in the Batcave before the, the final panel. So the end of this book, even that section that we were talking about, where it was kind of like, eh, I think we're kind of falling a little bit. I really think they, Kessel and Dixon both land the ending scenes with Superboy and Robin that make you by the end of this going, I want more of these two and, you know, where more of their interaction is going to happen and why these two characters were very popular in the nineties. So I, I loved this sequence. So what'd you guys think about uh, the conclusion of Robin and Superboy's mission? And be- before we get to the stinger at the end, uh, let's start with Jay. Like you said, the fact that they save each other, it's not just uh, one of them is the one who uh, came out on top as the big hero, you know, Superboy trying as much as he could to fly Robin to safety 
and then Robin having to swing the both of them with a really, really cool shot on page 42. Oh, it's a beautiful uh, shot. I love that. And then that page also has one of the goofiest panels in the entire <laughs> series where Metallo's head <laughs> is stuck in the head of a torpedo. Torpedo. <laughs> which, which I just think is hilarious. Yeah. Um, with his, I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for you meddling <laughs> kids moment. Um, yeah. I mean, it's wrapped up neatly. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not totally into the, you know, Batman and Robin and them are urban legend characters, mm-hmm. which I think they might have hit on in here. Uh, I don't remember. Or maybe it was in the first. I think, it, but- yeah, where it was more like Superboy is aware that there is Batman, that he might find the Bat of Gotham. But the idea that Robin even being there didn't cross his radar. So, I mean, I'm not always a big fan of that, but I do like that, yeah, rather than trying to draw attention to the fact that Robin and, by extension, Tim Drake and Alfred Pennyworth were in Hawaii. Right. Superboy just takes, you know, takes the lead, takes all the credit. Tim plays into his kind of impulsiveness and hot-headedness and tricks him into giving the kryptonite ring back. Just great that even when they were conflicting with each other in the story they were never antagonists to each other and even uh, here in these final pages you know where they you know become you know friendly and appreciated working with each other i really really enjoyed that terrence yeah as i was kind of listening to you guys talk i kind of thought you know metallo didn't even need to be in this issue at all they could have accomplished his scene (laughs) with either some poison ivy henchman or just her creating some vines or plant monster or something like that to distract Robin and give Robin something to do or something. There's nothing really like, oh, this had to be Metallo because of this or this. But also, I I think you got to look at it. 1996, when this came out, Superboy had two titles going. You know, I think both of them written by Carl Kessel. I'm looking up Superboy and the Ravers was out from 96 to 98, and it says it was written by Carl Kessel and Steve Matson. Tim is in his ongoing Robin. He's also in pretty much in every issue of Detective Comics that Chuck Dixon's writing, and mm-hmm. in a whole bunch of other Batman stuff coming out. So there was a lot of Robin and Superboy out there, and this was just a two-issue series. It wasn't a start of a series. It wasn't a world-building. wasn't establishing characters. They couldn't, like build on stuff so what do you do in a two-issue series well you tell a fun action story you know and that's this is what it was and it was a lot of fun and i enjoyed it and uh it's kind of it's kind of textbook you know no real twists and turns about like how it starts and ends and everything like that but you know what it's it's still fun i think i said at the beginning i like how batman and superman don't they don't have to be in the book. They don't come in to save the day that Robin and Superboy are falling to their death. And it's the bat plane that flies in. It's Superman that scoops up the villains and it wraps up in a, a nice little bow. And the boys get a, a good talking to. I think this even happened in the Young Justice book that you and I were doing. The I forget what that very first book was where they were kind of getting a what for from the justice league and the, the three heroes were like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll still do this. We still got it. I like that. That doesn't happen here, but it's a typical Batman thing to happen. Like Alfred and Robin are like, all right, we got the ring back. Bruce, Bruce didn't know what's going on and who comes down the stairs. It's Batman (laughs) where, and I love the last line of the book where 
you know, it's like, oh, Bruce Wayne says, Batman says, oh, I've been doing a lot of Bruce Wayne stuff. I'm eager to get back out there. And you can, you guys did a really good job in Hawaii. And then Robin has the line of like, how does he do that? Which I thought that that's a nice little button to put on the book. You get the quick little like three panel shot of Batman. And actually the bottom panel is just the cape looking at the two of them looking in disbelief. But you kind of get that look from Alfred that's like, yeah, he's right over there. So I I liked how how this book ended and it's kind of cool that I had forgotten that, you know, their Batman is still in his dark black, uh, costume at, at this point. So oh, yeah, would, prodigal. Yeah. Prodigal. So what'd you guys think of the conclusion of a little stinger of this with the appearance of Batman and seeing Grummet draw Batman one more time? Uh, let's start with Terrence. Yeah, I love it. I love that black costume. I do miss the purple Cape also from rebirth. I like a lot of the costumes. I'm, I'm easy to please. Same here. I like the ending of it. I like uh, you kind of like I said, you kind of knew this was coming, but it was also done perfectly. I, I remember 1996 like it was only 25 years ago or what was it? Was it 30 years? 26. 26. Yeah, 26 yeah, years wow. ago. And I remember the, just the excitement of getting the book and having it in the prestige format and the art looking so awesome in those, uh, you know, like the with the better quality paper and the mm-hmm. glossy finish and just getting some more grummet art and seeing the the you know the two like guess uh teen icons of dc at the time in a book together you know and and whatever whatever you want to say about this the goofiness of metallo in a scuba gear and then at the end having a being a missile his size changing shape (laughs) yeah is he making metal out of thin air is the metal disappear is it become dense i don't know what's going on alfred flying first class and all that all of it, I, I excuse all of it, just to watch Tim Drake sock Superboy right in the face. <laughs> that was worth all of it. It's like b- back in Justice League when you know Batman punched Guy Gardner with one punch. It was like, oh, so sweet. So sweet. Yeah, Jay. Yeah, to your point, Rob, I like that Batman's only in it for a few panels. Superman's not in it at all because it would have taken away from really the history that had been built up with both Robin and Superboy at this point, Mm because Robin's, you know, series is in issue, what, 30-something at this point? Yep. And uh, Superboy wasn't that far along, but still had plenty of solo adventures to prove that either one of them could stand on their own. So if at the end of the story, very last minute, out of nowhere, there comes, you know, the, the big boys to save the day, it would completely... Just uh, maybe not completely destroy everything, but would definitely be a hit to both of the characters who had firmly established that they could be their own heroes by themselves and didn't necessarily need supervision or assistance from their superiors. So I definitely like that, you know, they were able to uh, team up alone. That's kind of a contradiction, but you know what I mean. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the team up came about organically through themselves and they were able to, uh, you know, save the day themselves without any assistance or interference from any other heroes, really, because, you know, like, like Terrence said, they're not, you know, 13 year old Damian Wayne and 11 year old John Kent. They're, mm-hmm. you know, older teenagers who, again, at this point had been headlining their own books for a while. So I really like that. 
I like the fact that, yeah, they were, you know, even friendly, even when they were kind of at odds, because even when Robin was uh, getting the kryptonite ring, it wasn't just for the sake of punching Superboy. <laughs> it was almost it was <laughs> it was more to be able to save him from her control, even if he needed to incapacitate him for a little bit, it would be for his own good and the good of others, because who knows what she would have him do if he wasn't stopped. So I definitely liked that. I liked their their interactions. I liked, you know, the story was, you know, like Terrence said, it was very boilerplate, very let's just get two likable popular heroes together and have them team up, but it served its purpose. It's not perfect, but it's entertaining. And really, that's all you need sometimes. So I'll have to probably put this in as the editor's note because I can't find it at the moment. And I'm hardly, while you were talking, Jay, to try and find it, I was going through to say, hey, now that we're finished with this book, I could tell you what's coming up on future episodes. So going through Mike's Amazing World like I normally do, the next story is Robin 35, which is his part of Final Night, which I don't think really goes through a bunch of it. I'm going to gloss over that. But we'll do Robin 35, and we'll probably try and do three issues, maybe. 35, 36. Now, and you want to talk about poster-worthy. That cover of 35 yes. with Spoiler kissing Tim Drake, that's like billboard-worthy. Oh, my gosh. I love that poster <laughs> yeah. so freaking much. Oh, that cover If so 36 much. is the one I'm thinking of, that's a beautiful cover. Too. Never mind. I'm thinking of a different issue. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so as I was scrolling through... In chronological order, it would go 35, 36, and then I was like, oh, I wonder when Robin and Impulse have their issue. That's the next one. So sandwiched in between 30, what did I say, 35, 36 and 37 is Robin plus Impulse that Terrence and I did out of <laughs> sequence for like, hey, we ought to do this, and was one of the most... It is the hardest edit of any podcast <laughs> I have ever done, and I'm going to insert it here when I can find it. And that would be episode 78 that I'm referring to. And oddly enough, you're going to get ready to hear what I'm going to say. But kind of, sort of, this, this is so ironic, it is so weird. The same thing that happened on episode 78 kind of reared its ugly head in this episode as well. So if you've been listening to the episode up till this far, and we hope that you have, Terrence sounds a little odd and a little compressed in this. I'm not entirely sure what happened to his microphone again. <laughs> Because last time it happened to mine and kind of happened to his, too, that there's something wonky with his connection. So it's really funny and really it, it must just be outside of Gotham City when we travel that wonky things seem to happen to Terrence and I. But that it happens to the Young Justice characters being Kid Flash and now Superboy. So episode 78, you'll hear what happens in that. If you don't remember, go back and listen to that one. Cause it's, uh, there was some weird audio stuff going on in that episode as well, but okay. Back to me. Episode 78 was the, uh, impulse episode. Here we go. For whatever reason, my microphone did not pick 
did not record. It was only Terrence's mic. Oh my gosh. So rather than re-record, I think actually what happened that Terrence's computer, his computer mic was recording, not his headset. So we got his voice. So I had to bump up his audio. So I treated it like a radio play. (laughs) Terrence kind of thankfully led that episode so he was asking questions and I just had to figure out what did I say when I made Terrence laugh? Because <laughs> yeah. I had to remember the thing that I said that caused Terrence to laugh. Or if he asked me a question or if I asked him, I think I spent two and a half to three days on that episode. I thought there is no way. And the, the episode I thought during our recording turned out so well. So go back and check out that episode. And I'm going to put an editor's note if I can find out what episode uh, that is. And so, I had to put a lot of faith in you, Rob, because you could have made me look really bad because you could have asked me, you know, so Terrence, how many times have you read this issue? I'm like, oh, about five, six times. And then you take that out and be like, so Terrence, how many times have you been hospitalized with herpes? Oh, about five, six five, times. Five, six times. Ah! And then the other thing that's funny about that issue is Ryan couldn't be a part of it. So mm, yeah. he recorded something a little separate and you put that in the front and it's Ryan like, yeah, this is a good issue. I liked it. It was fun. <laughs> it was a good, decent issue. And then for the next like two hours, you and I rip it apart. I'm like, I'm like talking about there's no way Impulse could type that fast. He would melt the keys of the keyboard and the, key, the processor can't cut. That's too many combinations in a short time and all this stuff. And, and there's Ryan like, yeah, it's a good issue. I liked it. And, you know, and I think on the next, he's like, man, you guys made me look so bad. But that would be fun to revisit that, you know. That would be fun. Yeah, yeah. And I mean that's that's kind of cool that they built in, you know, pretty quickly getting the young justice team the the what would become young justice within just a few issues in a few months. That hmm. issue has a cover date of the Robin Impulse issue has a cover date of December nineteen ninety six with the on sale date of October thirtieth. So from the issue that we just did, uh, June ninety eight is the first Young Justice. Yeah, Young Justice: and, The Secret, June ninety eight. So yeah, a lot of people must have liked it. And then with the Superboy issue in Robin that we just did, that's November of ninety six. So the timeline for them realizing, hey, we've got three heroes that we can kind of build. You know, you were saying earlier, like, this really doesn't set anything up. It really starts to move the pendulum to, like, hey, we're going to do this Young Justice thing within the matter of a, a few months. Actually, a couple of years, they would be launching the, the series proper uh, really well. So I think it worked out time-wise with taking the little bit of a break that we did, that this is the book that fits right in here. It's a nice kind of palate cleanser. We're away from the clench for now, before it starts to to rear its ugly head again for a third time later down the road. But uh, we're getting really close, probably within a couple issues of when I took a little bit of sabbatical from reading comics. So we're about an issue or two away from I'm going to be reading some Tim Drake stories I've never, ever read before. So I'm really looking forward to getting to some of this uh, territory. For the for the record, the cover I was thinking of was Robin forty six, not thirty six. Mm, okay, it's, uh, Mike Waringo. It's uh, just almost completely white, and Robin's kneeling over like a fallen body. And there's, oh, that is such a good issue. Yeah. It, it, oh my gosh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and talk about being tied to another another story, mm-hmm. uh, Genesis. Yeah, but that that's that single issue is uh, is is really good. So. Mm-hmm. 
But I think this is where we're going to end the episode, folks. Now, I know it's been a couple months, and I know, Terrence, you've done uh, some things on the YouTube side of it. Do you have anything to plug at the moment before we uh, sign out of this thing? No, other than I hope you guys enjoy the Batman in the theaters. I'm not quite sure when I'm going to see it because I planned romantic getaway for my wife and I this the coming weekend, not even realizing it was the Batman weekend <laughs> or anything. And she keeps asking me, she's like, you know, the Batman's coming out this weekend. You know, well, we haven't gone away together in I don't even know how many years. It was long before the pandemic. And then with having kids and being little you know every vacation has been you know to disney with the kids or something so it's been i don't know maybe five years or so since we've had the chance to just her and i get away for the weekend so it's been a long time coming enjoy that yeah thanks yeah, yeah. but she's she's been uh he keeps asking like you know it's the batman right did you the batman and i'm like that's eh, i'll just i'll see it i'll see it later i'll see it later at some point i hope you guys enjoy the heck out of it jay what do you got going on sir I've got, uh, you know, just uh, my own Twitter handle at J-A-Y-A-W-S. And then at Comic Pause, I more post stuff on Twitter rather than write stuff over there lately because I just – it's my own blog so I can write whenever I want to. And um haven't really been inspired by much of anything slash not been burnt out on writing. So, <laughs> so I'll do that. Um, I do frequently write on uh, Batman News. And uh, actually, the other day, Rob, you shared it. I, I was wrote. just going to say, you did write a very, very cool piece. So, Jay, I'll have you talk about it. But if you're Tim Drake fans and you're kind of like, uh, just go ahead, Jay, set, set this thing up. Because it's a, it's a wonderful article if you haven't had a chance so, to read it. Thank you. Thank you. Just the other day in DC Solicitations, they released the, the solicits for May, I think it is. And mm-hmm. the Batman Annual will see Batman Inc., like Batman Incorporated feature, which is cool because I like Batman Incorporated. But Ghostmaker and Clown Hunter are going to be the two leads, the the head of Batman Inc., which I think is not great because I don't think that those are good characters to begin with, <laughs> but also made immensely more frustrating because Tim Drake has had nothing to do for the past 11 years in DC Comics. Mm-hmm. And then two characters that have had middling success that were just introduced barely two years ago are now handpicked in continuity by Batman to lead a team. I think is, I mean, frankly, kind of uh, almost insulting as a fan of Tim Drake. Yes. Uh, so I, I wrote a, I wrote a piece called uh, Tim Drake should lead Batman Inc, not Ghostmaker, where I just kind of, kind of run down those points that Tim has had not had any sort of direction, has not had any real presence in the Batman comics for a decade now. And instead of having a clear direction and defined purpose, they hand something to undeserving characters that he would be perfect for. So uh, definitely read that. I normally don't write things that are that impassioned and pointed and even heated but i mean i i just felt that was that was kind of a a last straw kind of thing there so uh you know check that out but i i also do action figure reviews i review mcfarlane uh figures over there and review comic books comic book issues every now and then do news articles so i'm over there and uh I was actually uh, recently on uh, the Comic Binge show. Nice, on, that's a good show. On YouTube, yeah. they uh, uh, We talked about uh, the Batman story Dark Knight, Dark City. 
which uh, is kind of a supernatural, really weird. But I mean, it's uh, it's about Riddler, some kind of supernatural mystery that's going on. And it's really weird, but it was a good conversation. With, uh, Paul Herman and his friend uh, Adam, uh, I want to say his name was. Sorry if uh, he's listening. But that was that was really fun. So yeah, I'm just uh, out and about and around. So there you go. And then you can find me on Twitter at DrummerRob10 and uh, the other show that we'll have to get Terrence on because we were briefly trying to put in Kiss and Batman and Robin all in kind of one show. I think Sherlock Ward, we did one on Batman and Robin Eternal podcast where we started talking about Kiss. I think the, one of the first songs we broke down was Nothing to Lose. So uh, you can listen to the Kiss podcast that I do with Nick and Nico Caruso at Right Between the Eyes podcast. Yeah, that was Eyes awkward. Podcast. Yeah, it oh, was. Sorry. Was- <laughs> that was awkward. If you know this, what that song is about, you and I tried to like skirt it, and she just like went right for it. Oh, yeah, you know what this song I was like, oh, oh why yeah. that? Because the idea was that podcast, which I think we got to what, like four or five episodes maybe, yeah. was, and then just time. just There was just no Gotta time. Run. But we were going yeah. to review every Kiss song that ever came out in the order it came out. So it wasn't like we picked that song and the song just happened to be that right. one. And we were both like, yeah, oh man, maybe this wasn't a good idea. Maybe we <laughs> should have so- started with the greatest hits album or started with some li- uh, wicked Lester stuff or something. Yeah. That's, that's probably what we should have done. But so, so Terrence could talk more freely. We'll have to get him on right between the eyes, but you can uh, follow us at that show. If you like kiss and rock and roll and I can let it slip here that we have a segment that we call the opening act and we're going to feature Def Leppard on our next uh, uh, two episodes we're going to record pretty soon. So we do more than just talk about Kiss. So on the behalf... I'm going to throw one thing in. Yep, good. Speaking of classic like hair metal rock Def Leppard, did you see The Peacemaker on HBO Max? I am a couple episodes away from the end so i'm not sure what you're referring to but go ahead oh no i was just curious if you you like you see you, you saw a couple episodes of it though right yes yes i have yeah isn't the music great in it oh yeah the the music's great it, it fits in with the character really well i'm like yep i could totally hear that on his ipod cool yeah, yeah i i i picked up a guitar and learned the the uh, the riff for the um, you know do you want to taste it or whatever is that fun stuff yeah very cool very cool well on the behalf of terrence and jay this is rob and you've been listening to the batmanuniverse.net more importantly you've been listening to robin everyone loves the drake podcast we will see you in a few weeks take care Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. This show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguins lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at RobinELTDPodcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. 
The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media, also over at our host, TVU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care. <laughs>